This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. I had this experience this week uh, where I woke up and the first thing, thank you brother, the first thing that was in my head when I woke up uh, was a text of scripture. Can I just tell you that's a good way to work up, well, wake up, you know? Like it's a great way to wake up is the first thing in your head is a Bible verse. <laughs> well, it, it gets even better because the verse, it just began to open up to me. And I was thinking about this Sunday, I was thinking about Father's Day, sermon, and this verse came to me and I thought, that's the text I'm going to preach on Father's Day. And then, and then not only was it like, that's the text, it was almost, I was laying in bed and the, the outline of the text began to come to me. This is a great way for, for a preacher to wake up. Can I just tell you? Laying in bed and the outline is unfolding to me. So I was so excited to get to the study, open up the scriptures. I turned over to Philippians chapter one. It was verse six. I opened it up. And I saw my notes from last year's Father Day sermon from the verse that was in my head. And the outline was almost the exact same outline that was in my head. (laughs) That was not so exciting of a moment. Have you heard the preacher's story about the preacher was new to his church? And uh, in the first Sunday that he preached a sermon, everybody was like, that was awesome. That was a great sermon, you know. And he comes back Sunday night and he preaches the exact same sermon. Have you, heard, have you heard about this? And everybody's looking at everybody going, he must, he must have thought like a different crowd comes back Sunday night. And, uh, and so they said, well, we'll just wait. Next week he'll be fine. The next Sunday rolls around. He comes in and he preaches the exact same sermon again. And everybody's looking and saying, this is, this is not good. This is so, so they had like a little emergency meeting after the service without him. And they said, if, if Sunday night, he, if he comes back tonight and he preaches the same sermon, we're going to have another meeting. We're going to have to address this. because this, this. So sure enough, Sunday night, comes back and he preaches the same sermon. Fourth time they've heard the exact same sermon. And they, they huddle him up and they say, Pastor, what, we thought we made this clear um, sorry if we assumed too much, but you, you've preached the same sermon all four times so far. And, um, and uh, he said, well, I, he said, I, I understand that. He said, I, I, I plan to move on and preach another sermon when you start putting into practice the first sermon that I preached. <laughs> you guys thought that that was about as funny as the first service did, but <laughs> preachers kind of think that one's hilarious. That's a... Uh, well, I got good news for you. I'm not going to preach the same sermon that I did uh, last Father's Day. Um, but I'm going to preach a sermon. You know, I, does anybody, is anybody really good at overcomplicating things? Don't elbow your spouse in this moment, please. Um, you know, life is pretty complex, and I really appreciate people that, that keep it simple. But I often find myself overcomplicating things. Do you know what I'm talking about? My sweet daughter was in the kitchen the other day, and she had something on her heart, and she was sharing it, and I just got in the weeds with her, and man, we just started talking about it, and we just started talking about it, and 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 about a half hour later, I think that I had like painted this huge cobweb of confusion, 
in her mind. And my oldest son, he was like sitting in the living room listening to all of it. And when the whole, conver- the whole 30 minute conversation's over, he says, well, you know, dad, you should have just said, and then he gives me a one-liner. And I said, yes, son, that's probably what I should have just said, you know. Well, this morning in our text in 1 Corinthians 16, um, Paul, he's writing letters back and forth to the church at Corinth. And he's already covered a lot of their questions in this letter. So they're, they're sending letters back and forth. And he's toward the end of the letter. And he keeps it really simple. He doesn't unnecessarily complicate it. And he's got a word that I think is really helpful for fathers. You know, you only have to take a, a casual look at life to understand the consequence that fathers are. You, you don't really have to study life very closely to understand that fathers have a really big impact. When they're present, when they're engaged, when they're loving, or when they're not present and when there's a vacuum, fathers in life have a huge consequence. Um, I, I, was reading this, I was reading this past week, and guys were talking about Father's Day, and they said, you know, it seems like on Mother's Day, we talk about how amazing moms are. Yeah, we just hold them up on this pedestal, and we just go on and on and on about all the amazing things that moms do and all the amazing blessings that they are to us. And then on Father's Day, we all like dogpile on dad. You know, and talk about like how you need to suck it up, dad, and how you need to get with the program, dad, and how you need to not be such a loser, dad. You know, I don't know if you guys experience that or not. The, the title of this morning's sermon is just simply, Don't Dogpile on Dad. You know, I think a good goal for us dads would be for our children to require just a little less counseling than we need. Just like, let's just move the needle just a little bit. Do you know what I'm talking about? And some dads are like, well, I've got much bigger goals for my fatherhood than that. Yeah, but let's just keep it real. Fathering is difficult, isn't it? So that's why I'm thankful for Paul's instruction. It's simplicity. It's clarity. Two verses, six commands. Are you ready for it? Dudes, are you ready for it? Hey, listen, if if you're not a dad, this sermon is for you too because this is going to give you handles on to know how do I encourage my dad? How do I encourage my spouse? How do I pray for my dad? How do I pray for my spouse? Right on? So nobody check out if you're not a dad. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Just a little, I don't know if you guys can hear the buzz. It's a little little buzz. If we could, you guys are amazing back there. I don't know how you do what you do. Um, Here we go. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's read it one more time and then pray and ask for God's help. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Father, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit. You would speak to us personally and powerfully. Help us to understand your word and empower us to live it out in faithful, loving obedience to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Six little punchy commandments in these two verses. And the first one that he gives us is simply be watchful. 
Be watchful. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So why should we be watchful, men? It's because we have an adversary. We have an enemy who hates us and wants to devour us. And the image that the scripture gives us is like a lion. The devil himself is just ready to pounce on us. The Lord said it this way to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The devil came to Adam in the garden, and the devil came to Jesus in the desert, and the devil's going to come to you Monday morning, right? We, we often kind of fall asleep spiritually, and we lose sight of the reality that we're in a spiritual battle. And I've got to tell you that I think, like, the devil probably utilizes that strategy well. If he can convince us that he's not a problem for us, and we don't know that he's there, what a strategy. We, uh, we, we are to be watchful at the ballpark. We're to be watchful at the workplace. We're to be watchful on our computer and on our phone. I love living in a military town filled with heroes, men and women that serve our country so faithfully. And I just can only imagine how a soldier, when he hears that, be watchful, like what all comes up in his mind in his training. It's like, it's like, like the expert training that he's had in, into being watchful. And so just as soldiers have been trained to be watchful for their enemy, we're a soldier of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a soldier of Christ. And we're encouraged to be watchful for our enemy. So no coasting and no falling asleep, but always to be watchful. The next commandment we see is stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes it this way. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul is giving us a category of faith there that's empty faith, fake faith. He calls it vain belief. And it's the kind of belief that someone at some point in their life professes to be a follower of Jesus and then their faith does not endure. Paul says it was never genuine, true, saving faith to begin with. Listen to this again. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you Hold fast to the word I preached to you. In other words, evidence that you were saved is that your faith perseveres. And he says, if that's not happening, you believed in vain. Empty faith. Fake faith. Lip service faith. That's what Paul is describing. So the nature of saving faith, the nature of it is that it endures. Um, now, I need a volunteer. So I'm just somebody. Come on up, brother. Come on. Yep, yep, right here. Come on up. <clears throat> Paul says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm. So when we're coaching baseball players in their swing, we've got this little thing that we do with them. A man. Remind me of your first name. Liam. Liam, come on up here. Liam, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. Right-handed. All right, I want you to turn and face this way and act like you're, the pitcher in a baseball game is that way. So I want you to hold the bat, all right, and get in a stance like you're going to hit the ball. Now, the, when, we, when we coach baseball players on how to swing, 
um, we coach them to have a really strong base. And one of the things we do to test whether or not they're standing firm and they have a strong base is we just kind of push them like that. And when they fall over like Liam does, he doesn't have a strong enough base, all right? So Liam, we're going to give you another shot, all right? Stand right here in front of me. Look right at me. Look right at me, all right? Now, I'm, I'm going to push you again. I don't want you to fall over. So let's get really, all right? So baseball players' power is in their base. That's where their power comes from. So, so a fighter, what we, we, we explained like a fighter, so like a fighter, when he's going to punch, he's not like this. No, he's like, he's got his back leg and he punches like that to make impact when a fighter punches, right? All right, so, so get ready, like a fighter right there. Yep, yeah, there you go, but hold the bat, hold the bat, don't hit me. All right. so, Liam's like, you pushed me, I, I'm not, you know. All right, you ready, you ready? All right, that's good, that's good, that's good. Do you see the strong base? Do you see that? He's standing firm. He's standing firm. You guys give it up for Liam. He did a great job. You know, it's so easy for Christians to not stand firm in the faith and to throw in the towel in their faith. Why did Paul say stand firm in the faith? Why did he exhort the men to stand firm? It's because he knew they would be tempted to just throw in the towel in their faith. A lot of times Christians are tempted to throw in the towel in their faith when, when the church lets them down. A lot of times Christians are tempted to throw in the towel on their faith when church leaders disappoint them. And, and, and it just makes you wonder, was their faith in the church or was it in the leaders or was it in the Lord Jesus Christ himself? It's so easy. All kinds of things can cause us to throw in the towel on our faith. Sometimes, I mean, have you heard people say this? Life just got crazy. You ever experienced that? You, maybe you had a friend, and, and they used to have a vibrant faith. They used to be in church every Sunday. They used to serve the Lord. They used to always be talking about what God was sharing with them. They had a vibrant faith. And now you don't see them, and you don't hear from them, and they're not serving the Lord. And, and they might just say, you know, life just got busy. Paul says, stand firm in the faith, because he knows life gets busy. Life can just get crazy. And so if we're going to stand firm in our faith, it takes intentionality. I think we saw this in the pandemic, right? The pandemic, it, it got us out of the habit of living our faith out, so many of us. And as we look, churches all across the nation are struggling just to, just to see all of God's people to come back and live out their faith within the context of the body of Christ. And so when Paul says stand firm, we've got to dig into God's word and anchor into God's church to live out our faith. And then Paul says, act like men. Act like men. Um, you know, one of the things I love about Father's Day, uh, if we're not dogpiling on dad, is that it's an awesome opportunity for us as dads just to renew our commitment to the Lord. Just for us to come like broken before God and say, man, God, I, like, I've just failed in so many ways as a dad, but by your spirit, I can be empowered. You know, the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. So if you feel like you blew it as a dad last week, good news. God's mercies are new every morning. If you feel like you blew it as a dad last night, good news. Mercies are new every morning. I love gathering with God's people on Sunday because we're able to come in all of our brokenness, in all of our failures, into the presence of God, and just say, God, I do not measure up, 
but your grace is sufficient for me. God, I am, I am I'm weak, but your strength is made perfect in my weakness. God, I've been so foolish. Would you renew my mind in wisdom? God, I've been so sinful. Would you forgive me and wash me clean? And when we gather together as God's people, it's an opportunity for us to renew our heart and to allow the Lord to renew us. You know, Psalm 23, that great psalm that gets read at funerals, it says, he restores our soul. So dads, if you walked in this morning just feeling frazzled or broken or feeling like you don't meet your expectations for you, let the Lord restore your soul this morning. Paul says, act like men. Our culture has gone mad in their basic understanding of what a man and woman are. You may be familiar with a documentary that's going around right now called What is a Woman? And where a man sets up meetings with sociologists and college professors and he asks them a series of questions and he's really boiling down the conversation to one baseline question, what is a woman? And as he asks these questions, the madness of our culture is revealed as people have a very difficult time answering a basic question of what is a woman. There is real and great confusion in our culture about gender. And if God created men, we must look to God to understand what is a man. And our God, who's not a God of confusion, but a God of clarity and peace and order, he has told us in his word clearly what a man is and what a woman is. When someone is born a male, and then thinks that they're a female or wants to be a female, they are blinded, they are deceived. They cannot see and understand what is good and right. When a person believes that they're a different gender than their God-given biological gender, they've been deceived by the devil. Transgenderism, transgenderism is madness. Paul described the condition of lost humanity in the book of Ephesians this way. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They're, they're darkened in their, in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Do you see the progression of a hard heart? You harden your heart. Listen, if you harden your heart to the Holy Spirit's voice today, you may be darkened in your understanding tomorrow, living out madness. They have become, Paul writes, calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is, this is what Paul, in the beginning, the church being birthed, this is what he was writing about lost, godless people that were not in a relationship with God. So what we're experiencing in the culture is not new. Paul actually gives us language to understand what's going on. A hardened heart leads to a darkened understanding, a blindness. I don't understand reality. I don't understand what is good and true. Now, I could have said everything that I just said with a really angry tone. And if I had of, there probably would have been a lot more amens, and they probably would have been a lot louder than they were. 
But I sought to share what I shared with a gracious tone. We get it backwards as the church when we get angry at the world for their sin, for their rebellion, and for their darkness. As though we came to Christ in our own wisdom, apart from the gracious, convicting Spirit of God. We're only in Christ because of the magnificent grace of God. So how can we boast? And how can we condemn others? It, it, the, the Bible says that judgment begins with the house of God. So rather than being angry at the world for how darkened their mind is, perhaps we ought to be angry at ourselves for not taking the gracious gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the world. Church, do you understand? Have you ever had your car, like, like it pulled to the right? You know what I'm talking about? You get in it, you drive, and it just pulls to the right. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever taken it to the mechanic, got back in it, and it still pulls to the right? <laughs> it's pretty frustrating, isn't it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? One of our values at Real Life is grace and truth in relationships. And most of us fall over on one side of the fence of being passionately truth-driven or being tenderly gracious. So much so, much so that, that when the preacher or when a friend gets really truth-driven, if, if you're really, really gracious, it makes you a little uncomfortable. And your heart just goes out to others. And when you're truth-driven and you hear the preacher or a friend talk about how free God's grace is, you get a little uncomfortable because you're like, don't talk about it being so free. <laughs> that, that might lead people to being licenses about God's love and grace. Well, all of us kind of have the car that either pulls to the right and we're extra truth-driven or, or it pulls to the left, right? And we're just extra grace-oriented. But Jesus' ministry was marked by grace and truth. Jesus embodied the perfect balance of grace and truth. So this morning, I want to invite you to take an inventory on whether or not your heart pulls to the left of grace or pulls to the right of truth and seek to align it with Jesus. And if you're really truth driven, then when we talk about these things, you might need to pull the wheel back a little bit so you can drive straight down the narrow and embody both a spirit of grace and truth. And if you're really, really, really gracious, then you may need to pull the wheel back just a little bit so that you can embody the spirit of Jesus that's marked by both grace in truth. And none of us will ever get this perfect until Jesus returns and he glorifies us and we are as he is. But this is our goal. The goal of all of our lives is to be molded into the image of Jesus. In Romans 8, that's what, that's what Paul writes and he says that's the overarching purpose of our life is to be molded into the image of Jesus so that our character would look more like Jesus every single day. So as we think about issues in life and issues in our culture, if we're going to respond to them the way Jesus responds to them, we're going to respond to them with both grace and truth. And when possible, in the context of relationships. Relationships till the soil of trust so that the ministry of grace and truth can be fruitful in someone's life. We're going to have a much greater impact on people if we build relationships that are undergirded in trust 
rather than a Facebook comment that tells them what they need to hear. Church, do you see it? Do you see it? In, in our home, we have three man rules. I've got three boys. We've got three man rules. You can ask my boys, put them, on, put them, on, put them to the test and ask them if they know what the, the three man rules are. The first one is always protect women. The second one is take responsibility. Um, and the third one is be eager to learn. Be eager to learn. Always protect women. That's what Adam didn't do in the garden. Satan comes in. He tempts them. Adam knew they shouldn't eat of the tree. He didn't speak up. Eve took the, the, the apple. Adam didn't protect her. The first man failed at being a man. <laughs> Brothers, you're in, I was going to say you're in good company. You're in bad company. You know, it's like, you're in good, bad company, brothers. Jesus, Jesus uh, resisted temptation. He became the perfect Adam, and he can redeem us. But the reason, that we, the reason that we have these man rules is because when Paul says act like men, he means something specific. It means something to be a man. It's, it's not a vague, unidentifiable reality it's it's a it's a vision of something specific so i give my sons some handles to say here's the man rules because it means something to be a man so brothers if you're looking at pornography you are not acting like a man you are acting like a demon-filled selfish little boy and god invites you into something better and he says act like men if you're a man and you're involved in gay sexual activity, you are not acting like a man. You are acting unnatural, like a fool, like an animal, dishonoring your body in God who has something better for you. And he says, act like men. If you're provoking your children to anger or if you are not listening to your wife and living with her in an understanding way, you are not acting like a man. You're acting like a reckless, undisciplined, weak child. And God has something better for us. And he says, act like men. So brothers, get a job and take dominion and pursue a woman and make a family and provide for them and stay faithful and build something great and walk with your God, and read your Bible, and lead your family to pray on their knees, and serve your church, and act like men. The next, the next simple statement is be strong. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I need that. Because the task of acting like a man is difficult, isn't it? And we need strength, we need supernatural strength because life is hard and being a godly employee is hard and parenting is hard and, and being strong is not gritting our teeth and flexing our willpower, but being strong, the way Paul's instructing us, being strong is living in dependence on the Lord. And, and I love the way the Apostle Paul over in Colossians, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it for you. I love the way he describes depending on the Lord. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is describing his ministry, and this is what he says, verse 28 of Colossians 1. He says, Him we proclaim, so Jesus we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Listen to this. Verse 29. For this I toil. For this I toil. Do you, do you hear the strength in that? He says, I toil in my ministry. I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Brothers, that's the vision of what it means to be strong. Toiling, struggling with his energy that he powerfully works within me. In other words, brothers, you can't be strong and not walk in God's presence. You can't tap into the strength required to be a man and not have a vibrant relationship with a God. With God, you can't do it. But if you walk closely with him, you'll be like Paul who says, I toil and I struggle with his power working through me. So it's a daily dependence upon the Lord. So brothers, if you feel weak, that's exactly where you need to be. Brothers, if you, if you can identify your failures and your shortcomings and you see the gap in your life of, well, here's where I am and here's biblical manhood and you can see that gap, you're right where you need to be because the pathway to being strong is acknowledging your weaknesses. So don't let pride deceive you. Don't let pride trip you up because the only thing that will keep you from acknowledging your weakness is pride. Humble yourself. Raise your hand. Be the first in line to say, I'm weak and I need the Lord. So I'm going to get up early tomorrow because I'm going to be a jerk at work unless I spend time with the Lord. Now, hopefully, your condition is not that bad, but sometimes it is, right, brothers? <laughs> you know, I'm going to be ornery when I get home from work. To my family, I'm going to be impatient. And I'm going to be demanding. In your flesh, you will be. We will be. But empowered by the Spirit of God walking in His presence. Listen, the Spirit of God will transform you and and you'll be a better man tomorrow than you are today. And you'll be a better man in six months than you are today. And you'll be a better man in a year than you are today. And you'll be a better man in three years. Brothers, can you just imagine? Can you just, Listen, can you just imagine if you begin to walk intimately with God? Can you imagine what your life might look like in five years? Some of you have never walked consistently with God. But the loving creator of the universe... He extends an invitation to you today. And he says, walk with me. Come and walk with me. And he transforms us from the inside out. Oh, brothers, you're, gonna, you're a good dad, but you're going to be an awesome dad before God's done with you. The Bible says that he's the potter and we're the clay. So how do you let God get his hands on you? You spend time in his presence. Anybody up for this? Anybody up for this? Be strong, Paul says. When Susan and I first got married, we... Um, the first 13 weeks of our marriage, we lived in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Everybody all right? Everybody okay? Uh, ladies, would you just put your arm around your, your husband, you know, your kids? Would you just give dad like a fist bump right now? Because we're not wanting to dogpile on dad. <laughs> um, Susan and I, when we first got married, we lived in New Brunswick, New Jersey for 13 weeks, and then we moved to Louisville. And we had to find an apartment to live in, and we looked at like 30 apartments. And we boiled it down to two, and... Me, like an idiot, I allowed us to look at a part in, a, in an apartment that was outside of our budget. It was like over our budgeted amount. 
And so we boiled it down to two apartments. And one of them was the one that we could not afford. And the other one was a less than desirable apartment to live in. And we got in the car to drive back to Clarksville. And my sweet, wonderful wife began to cry. We'd been married about 13 weeks. And when my sweet, wonderful wife began to cry, I began to panic. Oh, no. What have I done? What's going on? Let me fix this. <laughs> so we got home, and I just began to like re-add up our budget. And I did it like 13 times until I made a mistake in my addition that convinced me that we could afford the apartment that we can't afford. So we got that apartment, and my wife couldn't go to Target <laughs> whenever she wanted to. The Target in our neighborhood was closed on Monday and Tuesday. and went, It just shut down for the year. What was, what was happening in that moment? The situation exposed my weakness and insecurity. Because what my wife didn't need was the fanciest, best, overpriced, outside of our budget apartment. What she needed was a husband strong enough to let her cry in his presence. What she needed was a husband that was not threatened by her tears. What she needed was a husband that said, sweetie, come here. You can cry on my shoulder. But I was too insecure, and I was too weak, and I was freaking out, and I was threatened by her tears, and I had to fix it. And there was nothing that needed to be fixed. She just needed a strong husband in whose presence she could feel whatever she wanted to feel in the moment. That's all she needed was strength. And I was weak and insecure. Brothers, <laughs> Dial in. Um, are you beginning to see? Are you beginning to see it, brothers? I sure wish she could have gone to Target. It would have been a lot better that year. <laughs> it would have been. Um, our, our families, men, our families... Need us, need us to be strong enough for them to feel a myriad of emotions that sometimes make sense and sometimes don't. Families need men that are strong enough that say, it's okay, bring your emotion in, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to listen. Because we're strong enough to let them feel that and to not have to fix that. Now, I do recommend that if your child or your wife says, would you please fix this, that you just lean in and you try to figure it out. But if you don't get that invitation, more times than not, they just, men, they don't need our skill as much as they need our strength. And our strength is going to be the presence that we bring, that we embody. I'm going to invite our uh, Emily to come forward and help us just to begin to respond this morning. But we've got one more statement that Paul gives. 
And it's this, let all that you do be done in love. Love is the highest of virtues. Love is the core of Christian character. Love is the purest motive of all. It's the essence of what it means to be a godly man. Love is evidenced both in what we say and how we say it. Love is evidenced by our patience and by our servants, by our service and by our long suffering. Love is both affection and action. Love. And Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. So it's like he's going through this list. Be strong. Stand firm in the faith. Be watchful. Oh, just let all that you do be done in love. <laughs> you know, it's like, got it, got it, got it. Whoa. Everything that I do, all of it, all of it, all of it. We, we have the opportunity, men, to be agents of God's love to spend time in his presence and allow the waterfall of his love to wash over us as we read his word, as we pray, and just to convey his love to others, just to be a, a channel, an agent of his love. That's what we get to be. Every moment, we have an opportunity to share God's love with other people in what we say and how we say it and where we go and what we don't say and how patient we are, how loving we are, how hard we work, how sacrificial we are. That's God's love on display is in his sacrifice, right, men? The Bible says that he demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his own son. He gave up his own son in sacrificial love. I've got an amazing dad. If you know him, you love him because he's hilarious. He's the most generous person I know. But his dad died when he was 12. And as he was raising me, he told, if he told me once, he told me a hundred times, I, I don't know what I'm doing because my dad died when I was 12. I just I heard him say it all the time. Just out of that place of, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing because my dad died when I was 12. But I'm so thankful for who my dad is and what he's been to me. But brothers, I, I want you to know, maybe this morning as you just reflect on, now I don't know how to be a dad because I didn't have a dad or my dad wasn't present or my dad was abusive or my dad was passive or my dad, and, and you fill in the, the list. I just want to share a verse with you from the Psalms. I think it'll be up on the screen here. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. David, when he was overwhelmed with life and when he had enemies and enemies come into his hand, and when the thought occurred to him of what if I was forsaken by my parents? What if I was forsaken by them? He knew that God would not forsake him. So maybe you're here this morning, you're like, dang, pastor, you said the sermon title was like, don't dogpile on dad, but I'm at the bottom right now and there's like 10 guys on top of me. And I don't know what it means to be a dad. Would you just let the Lord take you in today? Dads, would, would you just let the Lord take you in? Because he is our faithful, perfect, heavenly father. And he won't fail you. He'll never leave you. He's always there. He always cares. He always wants to listen. He always wants to strengthen you. He always wants to love you. Let him take you in. Would you pray with me? Father, we so need... You, Lord, would you just pour out your spirit in a fresh way on us? Father, I pray you would move on the heart of every child and every spouse to pray for their dads faithfully. And Father, I pray for men this morning that you might touch them in a powerful way, in a life-changing way. I pray that they would look back on this day and they would remember it for the rest of their days because of how the spirit of God 
spoke to their hearts. So strengthen us, Lord. We are weak. Strengthen us. Lord, we are foolish. Make us wise. Thank you for forgiving us when we lose our tempers. Thank you for forgiving us when we're ungodly. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord, when we're apathetic. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord, when we just mess it up. Thank you for renewing us today. Thank you, God, that if you are for us, who can be against us? Thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us in our time of need. Thank you, Lord, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. We dads, we just come to you and we say we're broken and we need a fresh touch from you. Do something new in our life, Lord. We trust you. We believe you. We believe you've got a fresh touch for us today. And we just open up our hearts and we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, do something new and powerful in my life. Let me become a godly man. Let me lead my family well. Let me serve my church like a champ. Lord, we are here, and you are worthy, but we need your touch. We need your touch. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's welcome our loving Father in as we sing out his praise. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.